Just when you think things couldn't get any more bizarre, upside down, or hypocritical than they've already been over the course of the past several years, we've now reached new heights or new lows, depending on what your point of view is and preferences are. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store, iTunes App Store, and download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and simply subscribe by searching out The Jamie Dury Show within that app and click subscribe. The other way, if you prefer to use your native podcast aggregator apps, all you need to do is look up The Jamie Dury Show either in your iPhone podcast app or your Google podcast app, and you can find us that way. Either way, you'll be able to subscribe. You'll be notified when new podcasts are uploaded. You will be able to leave reviews, and we need more of both, so please give us a five-star review. We try and do a good job for you and bring you information or at least perspective that most other people don't give you. And so if you give us good reviews and more of them, the show will come up higher in search rankings when people go on those respective apps and look for conservative content or, or political content will rank higher, will get more exposure. And please share the show with your friends. You know, it's always good to share and give us a like. So what exactly is this hypocrisy of which I am speaking? Well, you all should know by now that the special counsel in charge of investigating President Biden's retention of classified documents improperly or unlawfully has decided not to charge him, not because he isn't guilty, but because they now feel he's an old, senile man and would cut a sympathetic figure before any jury, and therefore they would be unlikely to convict him. Uh, that may very well be true, particularly if the trial is held in the D.C. District Court, which is all Democrats. They, would, they wouldn't care if he shot somebody on national television. He's a Democrat, he's the president, and he's not Donald Trump, so they would probably vote to acquit him. But that really shouldn't be the decision of the special prosecutor. The evidence is there. Uh, I don't fancy people making these decisions uh, themselves. When you have ample evidence that you have a president uh, or anyone that is guilty of a crime, and in this case, even more imperative that you prosecute him because you also have a former president in the person of Donald Trump who's being prosecuted for the same crime. And there's only one problem with that. Of the two men, Donald Trump is the one who's not guilty because he, as a president, was legally entitled to retain documents because he also has the power to declassify. See, the confusion here is in no small part due to the media taking this case and picking, cherry-picking facts and not really sharing everything with the public or trying to create the impression that it's different somehow or it's the same or whatever, but it's not. The classified documents that President Biden is accused of retaining after he left office were documents 
that he possessed during his years as a United States senator and as a vice president. Joe Biden, being the current president and in his first term, has not yet had the opportunity to retain documents after leaving office because he's still in office. Now, why is this significant? Because, well, presidents are allowed to retain documents from their presidency. Joe Biden is guilty of retaining documents that were classified from when he was a senator and from when he was a vice president. Neither of those two positions carry the immunity. Neither of those two positions carry the authority or the right to retain documents after you leave office. In fact, senators, I don't think, are allowed to retain them at all. He certainly shouldn't go home with them. And he just didn't feel like giving them back. Now, Donald Trump, all of the documents that he retained were documents from his presidency. He's protected under the Presidential Records Act. Joe Biden is not. Joe Biden is not protected under the Presidential Records Act. Now, it could very well be that Joe Biden might not be able to be criminally prosecuted while he's president, uh, because even though these acts did not take place while he was president, took place in the years after he left the office and before he became president, uh, you can't prosecute a sitting president while he's sitting. That's also in sharp contrast to what they're trying to do with Donald Trump with respect to January 6th and other things. Donald Trump uh, is a sitting president at the time that these things occurred. And a sitting president has immunity. They have immunity while they're president, and they have immunity after. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to make a decision. Because he'd be second-guessed, and there'd be a, a time clock running, waiting to put cuffs on everybody after they left office. You can't have that. You can't have that. The leader has to have immunity. But Joe Biden doesn't have this immunity. So let's dig in a little bit and see what they're saying. Special counsel, this is a headline in the Times. There's also things on it in the New York uh, Post. Special counsel casts Biden as, quote, elderly man with poor memory in a classified documents report. President Biden will not be prosecuted in connection with his possession of classified documents from his time as a U.S. senator and vice president. The Presidential Records Act has nothing to do with it. They cited his poor memory as a factor in the decision not to prosecute him. This was a 388-page report released yesterday by the Justice Department Special Counsel Robert Herr. These are the findings of his 13-month investigation, the end of which, or at the end of which, he concluded, quote, that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. That's it. That's more than a prima facie case. That's it. He's guilty. Nonetheless, I'm reading from the article, Mr. Herr declined to, pro to pursue charges against the president, citing a lack of sufficient evidence to establish his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and how he would appear to a jury. I don't know how you can't establish his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The man had documents 
in his garage with his Corvette. His son was staying at that house and communicating with people in China and other parts of the world, no doubt accessing that classified material because uh, Hunter Biden is a moron and he's also a moral degenerate. Uh, There's no way he could deserve a job paying the type of monetary uh, rewards that he was getting on merit. He only got it because he was his father's son and had access to privileged information. Quote, at trial, this is her talking, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. Well, that may very well be your reason for not wanting to prosecute him, Mr. Herr, but that's certainly not a reason for the American people to vote for him and return him to office. And that seems to have drawn a lot of ire from the Biden camp. They're fighting this back. They're between a rock and a hard place. You want to piss off the special prosecutor? Uh, Well, maybe they feel they can because they have him in their pocket with uh, Merrick Garland appointing him and everything else. But if it was a real special prosecutor, they just have to eat this. Because if you piss him off, the special prosecutor could turn around tomorrow and say, you know, on second thought, I think there is a possibility we can get a conviction. We're going to go after him. But he must know um, that, that they, uh, they're not going to be able to go after him. So the Biden camp is coming out against this characterization of him as a senile old man because it's not going to play well. Um, in the election. Also, if the special counsel stands by that remark, and I can't believe that he's going... In fact, I'm still shocked that this language made it into the report. I could see if they tried to slide by just saying, we didn't have evidence that would convict him beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a legal standard. You leave it at that. I don't know why they made this, this gratuitous remark. Maybe this guy isn't completely in the pocket of Attorney General Garland. Or maybe he is under his thumb and resents the fact that he can't prosecute Biden and decided, well, if I can't prosecute him and I can't send him to jail, I'm going to do my patriotic duty and make sure that he never gets returned to the White House after I tell the American public that he's a senile old fool and that he can't do the job. Now, it's going to be interesting to see in the next few days if they try and make this guy walk that remark back and back down. I don't think they're going to be successful because this thing's been going on for 13 months. Surely this man had to have thought about this at length before he decided to put that um, in the report. He had to know that was going to be pushback from the Biden camp. So I'm going to go on record as saying he's probably not going to walk it back. And this thing is going to haunt the Bidens. And it's going to haunt the Democratic Party, because now what are they to do? They have a man that their own special counsel said is incompetent. He's a well-meaning, sympathetic, elderly man with a poor memory. Not the type of person the American people usually choose to lead them, especially in the shape the world and the country is in right now. So the question becomes, is it simply going to be a case that he strings along until November? And then they 
get rid of him as he loses the election? Or are they now forced against their will to invoke the 25th Amendment and undertake proceedings to remove Joe Biden from office and install Kamala Harris? It could very well be that there's more going on here. We already know that Joe Biden, he may have the title of president, but it's clear from everything that Mr. Herr is saying, it's clear from everything that we see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears, that Joe Biden is not discharging the office of the presidency's duties. He's not calling the shots. He doesn't even know his own name. The other day, he said he went to a G7 summit after he recently became president and spoke to um, President Francois Mitterrand. The only problem with that is Francois Mitterrand has been dead since the late 1990s. So he didn't speak to him any time recently. He's having dementia moments. They're becoming increasingly frequent. He, he's not fit. He's not fit to be a babysitter, let alone the leader of the free world. The man is incompetent. And I believe he's also incontinent, if my sources are correct. So what is really going on here? We know that they control everything. We know that Merrick Garling handpicked this special prosecutor. And yet, this damning statement of his incompetence, Biden's, of course, I'm talking about, his incompetence, his dementia, uh, makes it into this official 388-page report. Now, since we already know that Biden is not running the country, the question is, who is? Well, it's very clear to me that it's Barack Obama. And for those of you who have forgotten, let me play something for you. It's only about a 30-second clip, and it's from an interview Obama gave to CNN, where he was expanding on how people ask him all the time, knowing what you know now, would you like a third term? And listen to what he says. What you know now, do you wish, like, you had a, sec, a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was. Uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, uh, I, I'd be fine with that. Okay, you heard it. It's from the man's own lips. I make one correction. Uh, I mistakenly said this was from a CNN interview. It was not. It was from an interview conducted by Stephen Colbert, that genius of late-night television. I say that tongue-in-cheek. What a schmuck. So there you have it. You know that Joe Biden is getting information from someone in an earpiece, and here you have the former president, to whom Joe Biden was vice president, saying that he would love an arrangement whereby he would have a front man that he could speak to in an earpiece while he was in the basement in his sweats. And that sounds exactly like what we've got going on right now. And I'm sure that's one of the main reasons why... Um, Joe Biden is still in this race because Obama would like to continue to have that control. But now it's becoming readily apparent 
to Barack Obama, I think, and other people in the Democratic Party that Joe Biden cannot win. He cannot beat Donald Trump. He cannot beat just about anyone. And of course, the people on the left try and degrade uh, Donald Trump by saying that uh, Donald Trump is probably the only one uh, who could beat Joe Biden. I mean, anybody else who'll lose. Look, the bottom line is Joe Biden is dead in the water and they just don't want to admit it. But now I think they are secretly admitting it to themselves. So could it be that Barack Obama still wants this arrangement whereby he can pull all the strings but have a front man or a front woman? He just now realizes that that front man cannot be Joe Biden because he'll never be reelected. So now they go to remove Joe Biden with the 25th Amendment and they install Kamala Harris. Now, I'm sure Kamala Harris, dumb as she is, would very readily agree to a deal with Obama that he would call the shots, she would be the front woman. But uh, not only is she too stupid on a daily basis, the problem with Kamala Harris is she probably would do worse against Trump or anybody for that matter than Joe Biden. As you recall, Kamala Harris in the primaries back in 2020, didn't get a single electoral vote, or, or a single delegate, rather, uh, en route to the, to the nomination. She didn't get anything. She's very unpopular, and she's not favorable at all. So could it be that the game plan is, since Kamala Harris is the sitting vice president, that they allow her to ascend to the office of the presidency, So she can now lay claim to being the first African-American female president and the first female president, period, even though she was not elected to the office. But, you know, that isn't always a prerequisite. Gerald Ford served as both vice president and president without ever having been elected to either office. He was appointed, approved by the Senate after Spiro Agnew, the vice president to Nixon in his second in his uh, term had to resign, and um, then he became president upon Nixon's resignation. So that's not necessarily a prerequisite, and maybe she'll take that deal just so she can get the 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 office and have those distinctions. But they know that she can't win the general election. So after they get rid of Biden with the twenty fifth amendment, we're speculating here now, and. Kamala Harris ascends to the presidency, that now leaves the vice presidency vacant. So now someone else has to be selected to be the vice president. And I can just see them putting in Gavin Newsom. So Gavin Newsom now gets in. And something at the convention, some kind of deal is made, or Kamala Harris cites family issues, or she gets a lucrative offer to work on a board of some company. She gets bought off. She leaves. And now they make Gavin Newsom the nominee to run against Trump, and they pick whoever to be the vice presidential nominee. Nobody votes the bottom of the ticket. They all vote the top of the ticket. Don't let anybody tell you any different. So that could be going on. I truly believe that uh, if Obama had his druthers, he would like Biden to stay if he thought Biden could pull it off uh, and could win. But right now he's slipped so far uh, in terms of cognitive function that even old Barry O knows that he can't hang on to Joey B much longer, that he's got to go. 
So I think that's what's going on here. And these polls that are coming out are making this even more likely. Good news for Trump, bad news for Biden is the title of an article in the Epic Times, citing some new polls. Three recent polls signal hope for Republicans and disaster for Democrats. Democrats enjoyed a moment of optimism when Quinnipiac reported on January 25th to 26th in a survey that President Joe Biden was beating President Donald Trump 50% to 44%. And there was a sudden wave of stories about a Biden comeback. Okay, but if you recall, I covered that on this podcast and I explained to you that it was an outlier poll. It was the only poll that said this. And notwithstanding that, we don't have elections in this country on a national popular vote. So it doesn't really matter. What really matters is, what are you doing in individual races? And can you sway enough states to garner enough electoral votes to get past 270? Because that's what's put you in the White House, and for good reason. Because the popular vote gives the people a say, and the electoral vote gives the states as sovereign entities a say. And so since this is a constitutional republic and not a democracy uh, in the true sense of the word, that is the way to do it. In fact, most people don't know your U.S. senators were not voted for by the people up until the early 1900s, and they shouldn't be voted for now because they have no purpose now. The whole purpose of the upper chamber of Congress was to represent the states as sovereign entities. That's why every state gets two sen senators, regardless of whether you are a massive state by population like California with 33 million people or a little nondescript state like Vermont with less than a half a million people. You get two senators because each state, regardless of population or geographical size, is an equal partner in this great union. Where the population is represented is in the House of Representatives. The more, re the more people you have in your state, the more representatives you get from your state. So men who set this thing up were geniuses, and we shouldn't mess with it. But people are continuing to try and mess with it. And think of how different the country would be if the senators were not voted for by the people, but were selected as they were in the days of the republic when it was first formed, selected by the elected legislators of the states. Considering there are far more red states than there are blue, we would have a Republican Senate. And that's one of the reasons why the Democrats moved to change it. But getting back to Sleepy Joe. So that's what I think is happening there. But let's look at these poll numbers. But the enthusiasm collapsed on February 1st, so it was short-lived, six days. CNN reported, CNN, of all places, reported President Trump was ahead 49 to 45%. Three days later, NBC released a poll showing Trump ahead 47 to 42 from Trump's standpoint, the news just keeps getting better. His next test is South Carolina Republican presidential primary on February 24th. A new Washington Post Mammoth poll shows him leading Nikki Haley, the former governor of that state, 58% to 32%, less than three weeks to the primary. Morning Consult has Trump leading by 68 to 31%. That's unbelievable. There's no way that gap is being closed. When you're getting the living shit kicked out of you in your own state where you used to be the governor, it's time to pack it in. But a lot of anti-Trump money from the people like the Koch brothers and the real 
country club Republicans, the real blue bloods uh, that don't like him, are trying to force Haley in. But I think unless they want to do permanent damage to themselves, they're going to have to bail out. They're going to have to bail out. And meanwhile, Biden uh, is probably the weakest president um, in recent memory. According to an NBC poll, 76% of Americans believe President Biden will not be able to serve effectively as president for four more years, and 59% strongly feel that way. Since his cognitive abilities seem to be continually slip, slipping, it is hard to imagine these people re-electing him. And I think that's true. I think, I think everybody sees the handwriting on the wall now. I really don't see Biden... Um, making it through November to the election. And if the family of the man and the people around him who claim to be his friends who care about him uh, have any compassion, they won't put him through that because he's only embarrassing himself. It wouldn't surprise me if he defecated in his pants on stage uh, during the debates. And could, they, could they even let him debate? What are they going to do? Have him get up there and say, I won't debate Trump. He's a threat to our democracy. It's not going to work not going to work. It's just not. And all these attempts to keep Trump off the ballot, all falling by the wayside. Another article, U.S. Supreme Court very likely to rule in favor of President Trump after the February 8th oral argument over Colorado's ballot disqualification. Trump is almost certainly going to win, says former U.S. Attorney Niyama Ramani. It's just a question of how and by how much. I think the majority will find some procedural off-ramp to say Congress and not state officials should enforce the insurrection ban. They're less likely to rule that the Capitol riots were not an insurrection or that Trump did not engage in it. But I don't think they can, they can even rule that he engaged in it because he said, go protest peacefully. Even the liberal justices were concerned about a single state barring a presidential candidate from appearing on the ballot. So they may join an opinion that overturns the Colorado ruling on procedural grounds. I expect a decision putting Trump back on the ballot in a matter of weeks. May come before the end of the month. I think it's going to come, definitely going to come before Super, Super Tuesday. There's another article here where they talked about some of the liberal justices. Now, right now, the court is 6-3 in its composition. You have the conservative justices two of whom were put on by Trump, Neil Gorsuch and um, Justice Kavanaugh. But then you have John Roberts, who was put on the court by Bush. You have Sam Alito, and you have Judge Clarence Thomas. The liberal judges are Sotomayor, uh, Elena Kagan. I'm sorry, three of the justices put on by Trump. I almost forgot um, Amy Coney Barrett, the last woman to be put on the court. Okay? She was put on. But uh, Biden has been able to put on Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and Obama put on Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. Now, Sotomayor, she's a real hardcore leftist. I, I don't like her. I've never liked her. And this case is a perfect illustration of why. When you have justices like Elena Kagan and Ketanji Brown-Jackson, neither of whom who could be considered conservative— but at least have enough personal integrity to say, look, this is wrong. It's against the, 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 the precepts of the law. It's against what the framers intended. It's against what 
Congress intended in the aftermath of the Civil War when they passed this amendment. It's just, it's just wrong, and we cannot uh, allow it to stand. We're not going to come out and say we think we're going to vote for President Trump or that he should be our president, but we are going to say that the law cannot be manipulated in this way to make it impossible for this man to run. He has a right to run, and no state can, single state can keep him off a ballot. Sotomayor can't even bring herself to do that. Now, I'll eat my words if it becomes a 9 nothing decision, but I think you're looking at, at 7-2. More likely, you're looking at 8-1. That's my bet. I'm, I'm betting that Jackson and Kagan go along with this. Listen to some of these pull quotes. Um, Justice Kagan. Quote, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. <clears throat> she told this to attorney Jason Murray, who represented several Colorado voters who brought the challenge. Quote, what's a state doing deciding who other citizens get to vote for for president? It's just more complicated, more contested, and if you want, more political. At a subsequent point in the oral arguments, Justice Jackson, the one appointee of Biden, noted that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment <clears throat> excuse me, makes no mention of the term president, but it listed all the other officials who might be barred, including members of Congress, military officials, judges, and more. That section, written after the Civil War, says those who engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States can't hold office. First of all, Let's get back. I have to make this point as an aside. I still dispute to this day that what happened at the uh, Capitol that day was anything more than an unruly um, protest. You want to call it a riot? Even fine. An insurrection? No. If this is an insurrection, it's the first insurrection I've ever seen in any country where the people did it without bringing a single weapon. Nobody brought a gun. How do you overthrow a government without a gun? Very difficult. We're not the 23rd century, where we have phaser pistols, you know, you need a gun. They didn't bring a sword, they didn't bring knives, they didn't bring clubs. There was no overthrow. But getting back, Justice uh, um, Brown, they were listing people that were barred, and president is not there, she said. I guess that just makes me worry that maybe they weren't focused on the president. When referring to Section 3, Quote, why didn't they put the word president in this very enumerated list in Section 3, asked Justice Jackson. The thing that is really troubling to me, they were listing people that were barred, and president is not there. Now, what the people who are trying, trying to get Trump off the ballot are hanging their hat on is there's one phrase that doesn't describe a particular position, but says an officer of the United States. So they're trying to hang that hat on, <clears throat> that statement saying, well, he's a president, he's an officer of the United States. But to Jackson Brown's credit and to Justice Kagan's credit, pointing this out that the word president is not there is very, very accurate. And it's very important because they did list a number of categories, former Confederate general, generals, if they really didn't want 
the president to be able to be president if he participated in an insurrection. Let's say like um, uh, Jefferson Davis, the former uh, president of the Confederacy. They would put in president. They didn't put that in. So the only logical conclusion is they never intended it to apply to the president. So that's why all these experts are claiming that they're going to come down on the side of Trump. And the reason why this is going on is <clears throat> people are afraid of what Trump's going to do. Now, Trump was really run over the coals leading up to his first term, and yet Trump did not act like a vindictive man when he was president the first time. I think they're afraid that after all they did to him, stealing an election, and we have some information on that, by the way, um, that they're afraid that he may just be out for blood when he gets back in. And even if he is, I don't think most people care about it anymore because they realize that the country is in such bad shape, they'll take any of the negatives that they have to in order to get the good that they know he's capable of doing in terms of getting our respect back on the world stage, backing off the Chinese, backing off Hamas, uh, Iran, uh, the, so the Russians, and um, getting our economy back on the proper footing. For that sympathetic old man to go out there and talk about how he created 14 million jobs, he didn't create 14 million jobs. So 14 million people become unemployed because COVID shuts down their businesses. And now, three years later, 14 million people go back to work. That's you creating 14 million new jobs? Man, I like the way you define it. I wish I could do it. I could create millions of jobs. I'd cause a crisis in my first year. I'd cause everybody to get unemployed, everybody to lose their job. And then I'd bring everything roaring back and I'd say, look, I created 14 million jobs. Give me another chance. Please, give me a break. But getting back to this um, ballot issue, new study, mail-in ballot fraud study finds that Trump, quote, almost certainly won in 2020. A new study of mail-in ballot fraud challenges the official results of the 2020 presidential election. And if they get this thing out, <clears throat> excuse me, and time this release, so that it gets into the common lexicon of public discussion prior to the election. I think people are going to be even more armored to vote for Donald Trump. Let me read some of this article. This published today. A new study examining the likely impact that fraudulent mail-in ballots had in the 2020 election concludes that the outcome would almost certainly have been different without the massive expansion of voting by mail. The Heartland Institute study tried to gauge the probable impact that fraudulent mail-in ballots cast for both then-candidate Joe Biden and his opponent, Donald Trump, would have had on the overall 2020 election results. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't want to have this cough. The study was based on data obtained from a Heartland Rasmussen survey. Now, Rasmussen is very respected. Survey was conducted in December, and it revealed that roughly one in five mail-in voters admitted to potentially fraudulent actions in the presidential elections. One in five. 
Now, these swing states all total, I think, were only separated by 150,000 votes. That's not a lot. In total, after the researchers carried out additional analyses of the data, they concluded that mail-in ballot fraud significantly impacted the 2020 presidential election. They also found that absent the huge expansion of mail-in ballots during the pandemic, which was often done without legislative approval, President Trump would most likely have won. Had the 2020 election been conducted like every national, this is a direct quote from the authors of the report, had the 2020 election been conducted like every national election has been over the past two centuries, wherein the vast majority of voters cast ballots in person rather than by mail, Donald Trump would have almost certainly been reelected. Over 43% of all the votes cast in 2020 were cast by mail. That's the highest percentage in U.S. history. And I don't think we're going to approach that this time around. The new study examined raw data from the December survey carried out jointly between Heartland Institute and Rasmussen Reports, which tried to assess the level of fraud. The December survey, which Trump called the biggest story of the year, suggested that roughly 20% of mail-in voters engaged in at least one potentially fraudulent action in 2020, such as voting in a state where they no longer permanent residents. Now think about this. 43% of all the ballots were cast by mail-in, and 20% of the mail-in voters engaged in fraud, which means that 20% of 43% are roughly about 15%, or maybe, not 15%, say about 8 or 10%. Considering the margins here, that was enough to completely flip this election the other way. And I think it's still a matter of cowardice on the part of the Supreme Court and other uh, legal bodies that they didn't take up these cases in earnest. You're trying to say that Trump was engaged in election, overturning an election. You stole an election. What's wrong with trying to overturn an election that was stolen? So it's, it's okay to steal an election by fraud. That's okay. But if you're the victim of the fraud and you're trying to reverse the fraud, you're guilty of trying to overturn an election. You know, overturning a legitimate election is one thing. Trying to reverse fraud is not trying to overturn an election. It's trying to get the true results of an election. You've got to put this stuff in perspective, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a clean-as-the-driven-snow election, and you've got the guy that comes out on the short end of the stick saying, I don't like that. I want to turn it, overturn it. No. you got a guy that's like, hold it. I was leading in every state. All of a sudden, they all stopped counting at the same time. And all of a sudden, every one of those states flips the other way? There's fraud here. And they investigate it. They find this fraud. And they're trying to overturn the fraud. That's not trying to overturn an election. Completely different. Completely different. Now, it goes on to say, what are the implications? In addition to reassessing the likely overall degree of fraudulent mail-in ballots in 2020, the analysts calculated the potential impact that the fraudulent mail-in ballots might have produced in the six key swing states that he, Trump, officially lost. This then was used to determine the impact of the potentially fraudulent mail-in ballots. First, the researchers analyzed the results 
for Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Under the 28.2% fraudulent mail-in scenario <clears throat> that they estimated on the based on the raw data survey. They then calculated the electoral results in the six states under different scenarios, each with a lowered assumed percentage of fraudulent ballots, ranging from 28.2% fraudulent all the way down to just 1% fraudulent. For each of the 29 scenarios that they assessed, the researchers calculated and estimated the number of fraudulent ballots, which were then subtracted from the overall 2020 vote totals to generate a new estimate for vote totals. Of the 29 different scenarios presented in the study, the researchers concluded that President Trump would have won the 2020 election in all but three of them. I want you to think about that. These mathematicians put together 29 different scenarios. And in all but three, Trump wins. Specifically, they calculated that the only scenarios that would affirm the official 2020 election result, namely that candidate Biden won, were mail-in ballot fraud levels of between 1% and 3% of the ballots cast. Any fraud rate higher than 3% would give Trump the election. And I think we can all agree, if you're a sane person, that there was a lot more than 3% fraud going on here. For example, the adjustment to the vote tallies under fraud percentage rates between 13 and 6% would mean Trump would have won Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, but he still would have lost Michigan and Nevada. But still, under that scenario, losing Michigan and Nevada, Michigan, which he won in 2016, but winning Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Trump would have won 289 electoral votes compared to Biden's 249. In scenarios of 5 to 4% fraud, each candidate would have received 269. But Trump would still likely have won because Republicans controlled more state delegations. And under tie scenario, Congress would have voted based on the number of delegates. So there you have it. There you have it. Now, we usually cover national issues on this show almost exclusively, but we occasionally cover local issues. So before we close out tonight and uh, bid you adieu for the weekend, I would like to cover one more um, issue that uh, I think we should be looking at. <clears throat> In my home state of New York, I'm just trying to find this article, the city of New York is descending into raw sewage. And I'm not exaggerating there. It's becoming a sewer. More and more people are sleeping on the streets. More and more um, people are using trash cans as toilets. I mean, the level of depravity is at a scale I've never seen before 
in all the years I've lived here. This is as a result of the NYPD being totally emasculated, completely stripped of all authority, and local officials like district attorneys basically decriminalizing, decriminalizing conduct that should be criminalized. Not prosecuting people, letting people steal and not prosecuting, prosecuting people who try and interfere and stop people from stealing instead, trying to prosecute them for assault, but not prosecuting people who are doing the stealing. It's an upside-down world. And now the city council, in its infinite wisdom, has passed this How Many Stops Act. If the cops weren't getting beaten down enough, this How Many Stops Act is going to be the final straw that breaks the camel's back and irreparably damages the NYPD. Mayor Adams, who was not one of my favorite people, to his credit, is threatening and has made a decision to veto the bill, and it's overrided by the city council. This bill will require New York City cops to fill out paperwork to report on every single person they have contact with during the course of their shift, regardless of the nature of the contact. Now, we had something like that years ago in this town. When cops did a, a stop question and frisk, they were supposed to fill out a paperwork. It was called a stop question and frisk form, document it, because that there was a purpose to. You wanted to document that you stopped them, that you weren't just doing it for gratuitous reasons. Two, if you legitimately suspected of this person of maybe engaging in criminal activity, but you didn't really have uh, enough evidence to arrest them. You got their information, you identified them, you made the stop question and frisk form. That stop question and frisk form then went to the detective unit in that respective precinct, and the detectives would have it on file. So let's say cops working uh, a midnight shift were stopping a person they think was fumbling with a lock in an area where they've had Many reports of commercial burglaries. Now you stop the person, you don't have enough to arrest him, he hasn't broken in, you don't see any burglar's tools, you fill out the 250, they used to call it the um, stop question and frisk report, you now document who he is, and now you find that this place is burglarized later that night or a different night, maybe a week later, and now the detectives develop evidence from other sources to indicate that a particular person might be a person of interest. And now they have this stop question and frisk report that shows, hey, this guy we liked for that burglary, he was fumbling around there last week. Two cops, Jones and McAndrews, stopped him and filled out a, a stop question and frisk form. Oh, we got to investigate this. So there was a method. But here they're talking about if a tourist comes up to a police officer and says, excuse me, officer, we are from uh, Germany. We are looking for the, um, the Madison Square Garden. Can you tell us how to get there? Yeah, sure. That's what you do. You give directions. You're a tour guide. You're a New York City cop. He has to fill out a form for that because he gave people directions? Excuse me. I know this is crazy in Germany, but uh, under this anti-cop city that we work in, I have to get your name. I know nobody's going to call you over in Germany to see how our interaction went, but I have to get it anyway. You got to look at him like he has three heads. 
And what is the NYPD's answer to all this? Well, I don't know what the union is doing, apparently not very much. But, you know, when something is old, if it's old enough and you wait long enough, it becomes new again. Back in the 80s, they were trying to reinvigorate the NYPD with old school stuff. They were trying to always perennially concerned with a police officer wearing his hat as if if that eight-point cap was square on that man's head, that man would never go wrong. And police officers in uniform were never allowed to wear facial hair other than a mustache. You weren't allowed to have a beard. The only exception were people that were regularly assigned to, let's say, anti-crime or, you know, plainclothes sort of units. And then because of a parade detail, they were sent to work uh, on a parade because they needed extra manpower. Yeah, he didn't have to shave off his beard to work the one day. He was allowed to, to wear the beard. Uh, but regular patrol officers could not wear a beard. They could only wear a mustache. But now, of course, everything has changed. People wearing beards, doing all kinds of things. So now, this is their way. They're going to they're fix everything. And I don't know what, what is driving this. NYPD, the Post says, to go old school by banning facial hair and changing uniforms. New video reveals, bringing back some traditions. The video shows Chief of Patrol John Shell talking to members of the brass at a CompStat meeting in 1PP last week. Quick, quick, uh, quote, uniform changes are coming rather quickly. No more beards in about a week. No open collars in about a week. We're going back to weather restrictions on knit caps, meaning you just can't wear the knit cap when you feel like it. I think most people don't need to be told when they should or shouldn't wear a knit cap to you. I mean, most people wear a knit cap because it's, it's cold. But if it was really hot out, would you want to wear a knit cap? Or would you say, now I'll wear something else instead of a knit cap? Now the cops are going to have to check the weather report, and the, uh, the boss is going to tell them when they fall out after a roll call, and they go on patrol, all right, tonight it's only going to be 50 degrees, or you can't wear a knit cap. What happens if you get a night where it starts out 50, and then the temperature plummets over the course of the night, and you're freezing your tail off? Basically, what I'm telling everybody in this room, this is the chief again, is we're going back old school. We're going to bring back some traditions that we kind of lost the past couple of years, as if that's the source, source of the NYPD's ills. The NYPD's relaxed its facial hair and uniform rules over the years. In 2016, in a nod to the growing Sikh population of officers, cops could wear beards and turbans while in uniform, as long as the turbans were blue. Over time, even cops without religious exemptions also grew beards. The NYPD also began allowing officers to wear warmer knit caps instead of their hats during frigid weather. They also got rid of ties with the uniforms to the chagrin of some traditionalists. One longtime cop said he thinks the changes are needed. It's absolutely ludicrous that you have an officer with pink hair and nails longer than their fingers. We're a police department, not a hip-hop department. Let's go back to being police officers. Retired NYPD Sergeant Joseph Jacalone, who's a professor at John Jay, which is a college of criminal justice here in New York City, for those of you who are listening in from outside the New York City area, 
I was against all the beards, he said. It's about a sense of pride. This is absolutely a necessary aspect about showing a good front to the community. Because I think once the cops look good, that comes with a modicum of respect because people perceive if you look like a slob, they treat you like one. Sergeant, that may be true, but that's not the reason why the NYPD is being disrespected now. It's being disrespected because it's been abandoned by its city government. It's being sabotaged by its city council. It's being betrayed by the prosecutors who refuse to prosecute the law and back them up and allow them to arrest the guilty and keep the guilty in jail. I would rather see that girl with the pink hair and the fingernails if I knew when she arrested somebody for something serious, that person was staying in jail. I would rather see the pink hair and the beards if I knew cops didn't have to fill out a form every time a tourist from a foreign land asked him how to get to a famous New York City landmark. I would accept all of that if the authority got back. And once we get the authority back, you want to you clean it up? Once the cops get some morale back and feel supported again, then you could turn to them and say, guys, gals, we're getting it back. People are respecting us again. You got your power back. You got your authority back. Now we have to look the part. Let's put it together. What they're doing here is putting the cart before the horse. You've got a demoralized department, and you have a chief, apparently, that must have been absent the day they taught leadership and morale, because when you got men and women that have been kicked and spat upon and beaten down by the people they protect, and now they're going to be told that they have to have retrograde movement, and they're expected to look like the cops that they can never be allowed to be under this current administration, you're really pushing the final nail in the coffin. Is it not enough that people are leaving the New York City Police Department in droves, that they barely have enough cops to police this town. Now you want to force more of them out. Who are you going to get to be police officers now? I'm told by a good friend who's still a police officer in New York City that now all the traffic agents, many of whom are foreign nationals who don't even speak English, are just rolling over and becoming cops. They have no sense of what's going on. New York's finest is quickly becoming the New York's most pathetic. And it's not because of the cops themselves. It's because of the failure of leadership on the part of City Hall, the city legislatures, and a failure on the part of the union to put up a bigger fight against this. I say I'm all for the beards going away. I'm all for the caps being used. I'm all for the ties being back on but only after these good men and women are given back the authority and the respect that they need and deserve and have been denied for so long before I start asking them to endure another indignity, another Band-Aid, another finger in the dike when the whole dike is crumbling around you. I want to see that taken care of before I ask these good men and women to do another bloody thing. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.